And so I want to talk about this morning the subject of growing up, the church, and how the church impacts us growing up. Okay? Uh, I don't know if you realise this, but by far and away, the, the most used metaphor, that's the kind of the best example of what the church is like in the New Testament, is the family. Uh, The word brother is used 34 times, sister two times, father 59, inheritance 19, son 17, children 39. All in all, all, 227 references in Paul's epistles alone to the concept of family. And you see, I think that's very important because church is not a business. Okay, Church is a family. We don't hire and fire people in the church. In a family, you don't hire and fire people, right? You, you, you kind of invest in people in family, don't you? As much as you like to. My children are doing, uh, I've just got into the stage of doing chores. Nathan's job is to load the dishwasher. Uh, uh, Reuben uh, clears the table and Aaron has to set the table. Now, Aaron's six. And if Aaron doesn't do a very good job, I don't sort of say to Aaron, sorry, Aaron, thanks. I think we've had enough. You're clearly not meeting the standard. Uh, there's a six-year-old over the road that's doing a better job. I'm afraid I'm going to get rid of you and bring in the six-year-old from over the road to do this job, right? Doesn't, doesn't work like that, does it? That's not how we treat family. What we say is, Aaron, let me teach you how to do it better. That's what you do in family. Uh, in, I went to university and I, I studied a very long-winded title, but basically the subject was human resource management. It's basically the management of people as human resources. Right? A resource could be, you know, uh, we've got financial resources, we've got physical resources, but basically the, the, the business world talks about people as human resources. But the church should not view people as human resources that can be uh, manipulated uh, and managed and applied in that way. That's not what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be a family. The church needs, like the church needs to raise sons and daughters. That's our responsibility, to raise sons and daughters, not to just produce clever employees. And so when we talk about this morning, growing up, we are talking about it all in the context of family. And that's really important to understand that when we grow up in the church, we grow up in the context of family. And when church starts to become like a business, it starts to move away from what God has intended. And so, one of the things that I want to talk to you about this morning is uh, the way family actually really is. Because in a family, uh, you have lots of different people at lots of different stages. You have babies, you have children, you have teenagers, you have young adults, you have adults stroke parents, and you have grandparents. That's a healthy family. If we look around this room this morning, there was, uh, who's the youngest? Uh, Matteo, who is, you know, this is a family church. Matteo is on the potty over there uh, <coughs> in the corner. Uh, he's probably, uh, maybe Simeon's slightly younger. And we've probably got, I'm going to picture, I don't know who I'm going to picture. I think Ruby's probably our, our kind of our, our oldest, but most energetic member. Um, <coughs> and, and I think that when we talk about growing up in the context of the church, it's important that we understand where people are at on their spiritual development journey. Because not everybody, the moment you become a Christian, we are not all at the same place. In a family, not everybody is at the same place. 
people are at different stages. And so I came up with this uh, little kind of uh, table uh, because what are the characteristics of different people at different stages in a family? So you've got your babies, haven't you? Uh, and babies are dependent and needy. You can only, yes, Lauren rolls her eyes. She's looking after a baby at the moment. Uh, not hers. Uh, um, sh- babies can only really drink milk, can't they? You can't feed babies, you know, a curry. It just isn't going to do it any good. It can't be done, right? And the other thing about babies, they cry a lot, yeah? Children, children are fun and free. We've seen them this morning running around. The children learn all the times. Children have a, have a tendency, don't they, to throw the odd tantrum, Yeah? You know, it's how children throw tantrums. I haven't recently seen Steve throw a tantrum in church, right? Okay? <clears throat> right, I haven't seen Steve stamp his feet and say, I'm not going into church this morning because of the way little Alan talked to me. Um, you know, children do that, don't they? But adults don't. Teenagers, uh, we're just moving into the teenage phase with Nathan, right? We are just beginning to experience, Debbie's got five kids, Debbie and Alan, five kids? Six kids. Teenagers have mood swings, don't they? <clears throat> mood swings. One minute, that's, that's not true of you, Lauren, is it? Uh, Caitlin and Lauren, is it? No, you, when you were a teenager, you didn't have mood swings, did you? Didn't, didn't, didn't one minute sort of be like, oh, yeah, I'm really happy one minute. The next minute, the world's coming to an end. You're the most awful person that's ever existed, right? Teenagers can be uh, mood swingy. They're unreliable because they're beginning to come to terms with their identity, yeah? What about young adults? Young adults are, you know, generally in, in the kind of natural sense, they're kind of in their early 20s. And at that point, hopefully, young adults are becoming responsible. Yeah, and in the workplace, you take young adults, you start to give them uh, jobs and activities. But young adults are also often adventurous. They love to go out, they want to travel the world, they want to try different things, they want to use this freedom that they've got, and they love to be social. They're out. Um, we've got. Uh, uh, Helen's cousin is, is living with us now uh, on a long-term basis uh, and basically he works up in London, he works for H- in HSBC at the moment, uh, but we never see him, right? he's in his mid-twenties, we never see him because he finishes work, he's very responsible at work and basically he's straight out after work with his friends every single night uh, and I think he got home about half past 12, one o'clock last night, something like that, because that's what young adults do, right? That's what young, they're meant to be adventurous, they're meant to be social, they're meant to be starting to learn to take responsibility. What's the big difference between a young adult and a real adult, right? Okay, a proper adult. Generally, generally, not always, but generally it's children, right? <clears throat> Those of us that have had kids, there goes a point, doesn't there? You know, you could do what you want and you have kids, don't you, looking at Jenna, you have kids and your life changes. Suddenly you can't go off and be adventurous, you have to be reliable, you have to be responsible, you have to be mature and strong and stable. You can't have violent mood swings as a parent, or not as a good parent anyway. Yeah, you can't suddenly turn around to your kids and be like, I've had enough of you, I'm walking out, I'm leaving it. You can't leave your two-year-old at home and say, that's it, I've had enough, I'm going. You can't, you can't do it. You have to be responsible, right? Uh, and what about grandparents? Grandparents in the family are supportive, they're wise. They're caring, yeah, they do the babysitting, yeah, they're wise. Are you, too, are you wise, Keegan, Joyce, yeah? Very wise. Great-grandparents, we haven't even got there yet. <laughs> You're super wise. The more kids you have, the wiser you become, is that right? But you see, I think this, this is a natural thing, yeah? We all acknowledge this. I think these characteristics are exactly the same in the spiritual context, 
You have babies, you have spiritual children, you have spiritual teenagers, you have spiritual young adults, you have spiritual parents and spiritual grandparents. Okay? And let's be honest, I work with a number of spiritual teenagers. Right? And one minute they're praising the Lord, they're like, Lord, I love you, I want to go for you. The next minute they're like, I've had enough of God, I'm done with him, it's annoying, right? Okay, I can't deal with this, my life's got too difficult. Yeah? And that's kind of part of growing up. Yeah, they're discovering who they are in Christ. We've got people, we've got, we have got babies in the church who are literally learning to just get the most basic things about Jesus. And we have in this church grandparents. Yeah, and I think one of the keys to growing up in the context of the church is to understand where people are at. Because if you're trying, right, if you've got a baby in the church and you're trying to, uh, you know, teach the baby, right, with a solid meal, the baby's not going to be able to process it, not going to be able to cope with it. Yeah, and you're not going to grow them up. They're going to feel like, I'm not getting fed, I don't understand. Equally, if all we do is dish out milk every Sunday, right, then everything, your, your parents are going to get weak and tired and not take responsibility for their children. And so it's very important that we understand this. So how then, in the context of growing up, how do we uh, support people at different, in those different categories? Right? So what are their, I mean, I called it learning needs, right? So babies. When you've got a baby Christian, you need to give them the milk. Paul says, you, we're feeding you the milk of the word, right? It's simple. It's about learning to pray, learning to read your Bible, learning to trust God in the little things. Um, uh, and it's a gentle approach. When a baby gets something wrong, if Simeon makes a mistake, Esther doesn't turn around and give him a good walloping, do you? Because he's learning, Right? Okay. Well, it would be it would be wrong if you did. Um, you you're gentle with them. You're patient with them. Yeah. And so, if we have babies in the church, we need to treat them as spiritual babies. Yeah. Not as actual babies. Um, uh, what about children? Right. Children. When you've got spiritual children, you need to teach them more directly. So you would say, if you've got spiritual children, let me tell you about what you need to do. It's no good saying to a child, "What do you feel you ought to do about this situation?" They don't know. They're not going to know that they need to pray every day unless someone tells them. Okay, so when you, if we are working with people who are spiritual children, we need to be more directive. Okay, you need to focus often on behaviour. No, you can't do that. You can't behave like that way. It's not acceptable, right, to swear your head off in the church, right? That's not how Jesus would behave. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's new to me, yeah? Um, so children, we teach them the basics. What about teenagers? If we have spiritual teenagers, and this is where it starts to get difficult in terms of growing people up in the church, right? We need to be patient with them and pick up the pieces. Because, you know, we can have this attitude towards people in the church that says, oh, well, they're clearly not there yet. I'm just, their, their life is not being as Jesus ought to be. And we're treating them as though they should be adults rather than recognising that in their spiritual journey, they're like teenagers. Right? One day they're really on fire for the Lord, the next day they are struggling no end. Yes? All right? So you have to give teenagers measured challenge. So you say to the teenagers, right, do this. I'm going to challenge you to do this. I'm pushing you to do this. But you can't give a teenager, right? Jenny, you've got teenagers, haven't you? Right? You can give them a little bit of responsibility, but you can't say to them, here's the family finances, Natasha. Right? Please sort out all our bills and our mortgage. It would be too much to give to a teenager, wouldn't it? 
It would be inappropriate. And so we need to give, in spiritual terms, you give them challenge, but not too much. But also, the other thing I've learned about teenagers, oh boy, they can talk. They can talk. They can waffle on and on and on, right? And sometimes you're like, well, you just get to the point, right? But your job, if you're parenting spiritual teenagers, you need to let them just talk about what the Lord is doing. And it might seem like they're talking. Debbie, you probably just sit there for hours, don't you, listening? You just listen to your girls going on and on and on. Sometimes the same thing again and again and again. And you think, I've told you this 17 times and you've still not listened. Right, more, exactly, yeah? So we need to think, this will become more important as we go forward, right? What about young adults? So when a, 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 a Christian becomes a spiritual young adult, as it were, you start to give them responsibility for tasks and activities. You say to them, right, I need you to be responsible for this area in the church. So I'd like you to be responsible every week for making sure you take care of, uh, you know, make sure all the chairs go away and come back out and the PA gets sorted, whatever it might be. Um, you give them challenge and adventure and also you're giving them feedback. Yeah, you're saying to them, right, you did this, you didn't do it very well, right? But hopefully as a young adult, they're mature enough not to have a strop like the teenager would do and walk out, yeah? Okay? But what's the big difference? And this is so key to really what I want to talk about this morning, is that the big difference in spiritual maturity comes when we are responsible for people. When the Lord makes us responsible for spiritual children, yeah? The Lord wants to raise up, I believe, mothers and fathers in the church, that is what he wants to do. And you might think to yourself, I could never be responsible for anybody else. I could never take care. Can, can I, if you don't mind, can I use you as an example, Steve? Right? Um, I should have checked with you first. Steve, right, when I first knew Steve, right, okay, there, there has been a significant change in, in Steve over the last sort of three years. I don't know, or two years, certainly, right? And do you know that big difference has been that Steve is responsible and taking responsibility for people, aren't you, Steve? Right? And, and when you're responsible for people, you can't not turn up, can you? You have to be there for them. You have to keep going. You can't, in a sense, once you become a parent, you stop caring about yourself and you start caring more about the other people you care for. And in your spiritual development and growth, it grows you. You have to grow. And, and our job as a church, if we are to grow people, is to bring people into spiritual parenthood. And too many Christians spend their lives living as spiritual teenagers, where they're basically in and out with God. They're like, I'm on this week, I'm on the next, I'm off the next week. But God wants to bring you to a position where you are responsible for other people. And you might be sitting there thinking, I could never be responsible for other people. But this is what the church is about. It needs to raise up spiritual mothers and fathers who can parent their own children spiritually. Do you believe that? Because that's the context of what we're trying to do in the church. But also, there's this wonderful role, which has been, I think, largely, completely overlooked in the church, which is spiritual grandparents. That there's this fear that once you get to 55 or 60 or whatever the average, you know, the age is uh, in the law, you know, physically, that somehow you're no longer of value to the church. That maybe, you know, we need to give the job, we need to give the preaching to the younger people. We need to give the leading to the younger people, which is, which is true. In a family, there comes a point, doesn't there, as a grandparent, I'm looking at the grandparents in the room, where you have to start letting your children become their own, you know, responsible for their own families. And you can no longer kind of direct and tell them what to do. You have to change. And in the church, we need spiritual grandparents. We desperately need spiritual grandparents. You know what spiritual grandparents do? Right, spiritual grandparents say, why don't you come around to my house for a cup of tea? 
and they sit there with a cup of tea while someone who's spiritually younger than them talks about their problems and listens and they care and they just say they're there. And they maybe offer wisdom and advice. They're not trying to tell you what to do. They're not responsible in the same way, but they're there. And they're caring. Because what do grandparents do? Grandparents look after the babies, don't they? Grandparents care for the children. And in spiritual terms, I want to say to you that whether you are 99, right, you are still useful to the kingdom of God. You are still useful in the church because as a spiritual grandparent, you have a role to play in the context of the family of God. And so many times you look at people and think, oh, I couldn't talk to these younger people. I want to challenge you. If you are older, right, I want to challenge you to be brave and invite younger people, whether they are in their 30s, 40s, whether they're in their 20s, invite them round for a cup of tea. I invite, and I challenge us younger ones. Do we? I, I, my life has been massively enriched by spending time with people who are over 70. I, massively enriched. Do you know what I love? I, I, I often go around and sit with Joyce, right? And I, do you know what? I've learned a lot by just listening to Joyce right? She's quite wise, right? Okay, right? But because, you know, when you've lived as long as Joyce has lived, which is 80 plus years, isn't it? You know, just 80, just 80, yeah? You've seen a lot of things. You've experienced a lot of things. And there is wisdom there, deep wisdom. Joyce has forgotten more things than I have still to learn, yeah? Right? Joyce has forgotten more things than I have still got to learn, right? And, and so it, it's... That's not because your memory's going, by the way. <laughs> but, but in the context of the church, do you understand? We need... If we're going to grow up, we grow up as a family. We grow together. And you need to... I don't, it doesn't really matter. Maybe you this morning, you need to ask yourself a question. Where am I on this? Am I a spiritual teenager? Because I, I want to tell you this. Age bears no correlation to spiritual age. You can be 60 and a baby. You can have been a Christian for 20 years and you're still a teenager, or in some cases still a child. Right? I do not want to be feeding Samson spiritual milk in five to ten years' time. If I am feeding Samson spiritual milk in five to ten years' time, well, as a family we're doing something wrong. Because in a family you grow up. You grow up in a family, don't you? Amen? And so, we need to be uh, thinking about then, so we need to be thinking about, well, how do we help people grow from babies to spiritual parents? How do we do that? How do we take people? Now, the word that's often used is the word discipleship. Anyone heard of the word discipleship? You familiar with the term, Esther? Discipleship, right? Now, traditionally, people have approached discipleship like this. If you're going to grow up and disciple up, what you need to do is you need to go on a course. We'll put you on a course, right? And we'll teach you all the basics that you need to know. Do you want, do you want to know my honest opinion about that? It doesn't work. Like you don't, I don't sit my children down and say, right, uh, Reuben, now we're going to start growing up 101. Uh, and uh, I'm going to set you homework, uh, and at the end of it, you're going to... It doesn't work, does it? In a family context, you don't grow people up by running a course. Your kids don't grow up by, you know, in, in life. They might do it at school, but in, in terms of growth in life, it doesn't work. Um, you can't become a good carpenter by reading it in a book. Can you? Hans is a, kitchen, Hans is a fire fitter. I couldn't read a book on fire fitting and become a good fire fitter, could I? 
I could give it a go, but I wouldn't be very good. No, I think it, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put the fire on after I'd had it. It'd be a bit of a car crash, it would. So then what happened is people came up with this idea that what we need is we need one-to-one -one discipleship relationships. That's what we need. We need these one-to-one -one relationships. And there's a lot of talk, and there's been hundreds of books written about this subject. And, and I'm going to say, one-to-one -one relationships can be very helpful, but it's all about the context in which that happens. Because the danger is, and I've been in, in, in situations where I've done it, you try to say, all right, I'm going to... You know, Keegan, I'm going to disciple you, right? Or, or Keegan says to me, I'm going to disciple you, or will you disciple me? But often it's forced, it doesn't really work. You know, it feels a bit fake, and it's very mechanical. Uh, and so often, one, it doesn't always work very well like that. Also, sometimes that puts great pressure. If Keegan comes to me and says, Tim, will you disciple me? And she's sitting there and like listening to me, hoping that I'm going to give some great revelation about her life and, and I'm going to learn all this stuff. She's going to learn all this stuff from being with me. It puts great pressure on that relationship. And so often I've gone out for people thinking, oh, I'm going to learn great things from this, this great man of God who's discipling me. And I came away and was like, well, the tea was all right. It wasn't, you know, it was just a nice chat, you know. It puts a lot of pressure when you have this idea of like we need a one-to-one -one relationship. Also, I would finish with this, right, uh, on this point, is you and I are responsible for hearing God for ourselves. And a lot of the pressure has been that if you're in a one-to-one -one discipleship relationship, that that person is responsible for telling you what God is saying to you. Nobody, I just want to make this utterly clear, nobody is responsible for telling you what God is doing in your life except the Holy Spirit. God can speak through people, and use people, but you know, there has been some real abuses of this, not recently, but in the past, where people have almost been told what to do by someone else. It doesn't work. That's not going up. You're, if, if you're needing someone else to tell you what to do in a one-to-one -one discipleship relationship, you will stay as a baby or a child. Yeah? So, I believe, this is what I believe about discipleship in the church. Firstly, I believe that it's multifaceted. Discipleship is, is complicated. It's not about one... Family, growing up in a family, is not about one specific thing. It's not about that one per... Nathan's growing up to be a young man. He's not growing up just because he has a one-to-one -one relationship with me. If that was only the case, that would be unhealthy. The other thing about discipleship, it takes a lot of time. People have this impression that they can almost like sort of jump through the discipleship process really, really fast. If they find someone that's really gifted to disciple them, they'll really accelerate in their growth. Discipleship takes time. The Lord takes time. It takes time for a baby to become a parent. You're not going to become a parent, a spiritual parent, in five minutes. It, might take, it will take years and years. So what do I believe in? I believe in this. Family discipleship. Family discipleship. Every day, or most days, we sit down as a family together for dinner. Every day. And it, over the dinner table, right, we talk. Reuben says something silly. We tell him off for saying something silly. Aaron misbehaves. We tell him off for misbehaving. We laugh together. We joke together. And in that context, our children are slowly, little by little, imperceptibly growing up. We grow up in the Lord by being part of the family of God. We, by being here this morning and being part of the fact that like the teas, Debbie was sick on the teas and so someone had to step in and you know, we're making it up as we go along and we're learning. In the context of family, we grow up. 
I remember years ago, I don't know if you remember this, when we were in Giggs Hill, we used to have Sunday lunch. Do you remember? And this was when Simon had just joined the church. There was another guy called Steve Deville. Do you remember Hannah? used to come on a regular basis to Sunday lunch, right? And, and it was, it was a, they were silly, they were full of laughter, but that was where we talked about things of the Lord, we challenged each other's ideas, we grew, and we grew together. And I want to say to you, we grow up, and this is why it's so important to come to church, to be part of a home group, to come to the meetings, to be meeting up with people in the church, because we grow up not by some special relationship, not on our own with just me and Jesus in my prayer closet, all right? We grow by being part of the family of God, by people knocking off the corners of us, by challenging us, by taking the mickey out of us when we get too intense, right? Or we get, that's how healthy children grow up, isn't it? Your children grow up healthy by being part of a healthy family. And if you want to grow up outside of the church, you're going to find yourself growing up weird, disformed with issues, right? If you grow up in a healthy family, you will grow up as God intended for you to eventually become spiritual parents and spiritual grandparents, okay? The second thing about family discipleship is family discipleship needs mothers and fathers, we need in the church spiritual mothers and fathers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. You might have 10,000 instructors in Christ. You might have lots of people that are going to tell you, Tony, what you need to do but there is something valuable about having a spiritual father or a spiritual mother, right? When you're around teachers, you learn things. When you're around mothers and fathers, you grow up. And we need to raise a generation. I want to ask you, are you in your heart, are you saying to the Lord, Lord, I am prepared to become a spiritual father or a spiritual mother to spiritual children. That is my goal. That is what I believe that you have called me to be. And my prayer is that we would do that. Do you remember um, last week, Pat shared a story about how he turned up to the, prayer, to the men's breakfast at half past 11 after it started at nine o'clock. And my dad opened the door and turned to him and said, you're a joke right? He said to him, you are a joke. Do you know what I did? I went to dad and I said, I told him, I said, do you remember telling that to Pat? He said, no, I don't remember that, right? And I thought, that's interesting because he's just being a dad. You don't remember all the times you tell your kids off, right? But he needed, didn't he? What Pat needed was a spiritual father who was willing to tell you what it was. Good mums and dads tell you the truth about yourself, Right? When, their kids, when my kids get too full of themselves, they're like, oh, I am amazing at football. There has never been a better player than me. I'm like, you are six, right? You are, you are, or you are nine, right? You are not that talented, right? It is my job to gently correct them and bring them into normality. And you need to have, and we need to have, if you are, this morning, I would say to you, if you are a spiritual baby or a spiritual child, you need spiritual parents. You need to find people, right? Lauren may not, may not like to admit this, but Mark and Alice are probably, aren't they? Yeah, spiritual mums and dads. And they, when you're having a mood or you're full, you're stressed, or where do you go? Mark and Alice's house, right? And that, and that, right? Now, you've still got grown up to do, haven't you? I'm sure you'd admit that, yeah? But... 
But what you've needed is spiritual parents. It's what's kept you and held you. And in a sense, that is what my challenge to us, that are mature, that are mature in the Lord, is saying, are we taking on spiritual children? Because we don't just need lots of people that can teach from a Sunday morning. And I want to particularly talk to mothers here. I believe there is a necessity for spiritual mothers. We've lived, actually, our, our group of churches has struggled Right, because the, the women, uh, many women, are, uh, or certainly of my generation above, kind of left the church for various different reasons. And traditionally, um, like my mum's generation, didn't feel that they had a that they, they almost had the right to kind of be involved with sort of younger women, and so often they didn't do that. Right, and so now we've got a generation of women in their kind of mid thirties to early forties that have not had, in the same way, the kind of spiritual parenting that we would have loved to give. And it's a difficulty. But I want to pray that God will raise up spiritual mothers. Amen? Spiritual mothers. And the last thing we need in family discipleship is we need brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. You do not need someone to mentor or coach you. I love spending time, anyone that knows Richard and Patrick. So Patrick we all know very well, don't we? Richard, some of you may know. Have you ever watched Richard and Patrick together? Keegan does, don't you Keegan? Richard and Patrick together are a dynamic combination that, that butt up against each other and keep each other's feet on the floor, I would say, right? Um, they love to argue, spiritual brothers, don't they? They do love to have a good old ding-dong. But when Richard starts getting too much like one way, Pat will be like, mate, you've got it wrong, what are you doing, right? And he'll tell him how it is. And when Pat gets too like la-di-da, right, Richard will be like, oh, Pat, what you're doing, you're just so intense, or you're just doing money. And together, brothers keep each other's feet on the floor. You don't need, in the, in the growth process of God, you don't just need someone that's going to like give you the kind of the way. You need brothers. And you need sisters. And maybe the way you grow together is maybe there aren't spiritual mothers or spiritual fathers that are around that you might feel you need. But I tell you, there are spiritual sisters and spiritual brothers. And I, I mean, I watch Helen. Helen's got two lovely sisters, both love the Lord. And she will often phone them up and she will just share what's going on in her heart. They'll share and they'll encourage one another in the Lord. It's what sisters do. They look after each other. And you know the whole difference about mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters? There's a depth of commitment, isn't there? When you've got a brother or sister, you're like, right, Angela is like a sister to me in many ways, right? We fight, don't we? And we argue, right? And we've worked together. And we argue, but we challenge each other. And that's important because I need sisters to keep my feet on the floor. And I need brothers, but we, we can argue, but we love, because we love each other, we're committed to each other. And that is what we need if we're going to grow up, okay? So we need that family discipleship relationship, okay? And so I want to just ask you the question today, all right, as we think about growing up in the context of the church... Who are the people that you are meeting with? Your brothers, your sisters. Are you saying to the Lord, Lord, yeah, I'll put my hand up. I'll be, I'm willing to let you make me a spiritual parent. Are we looking at other people in the church and expecting too much of them when actually really they're spiritual children or spiritual teenagers? Right? I think it's important, these things. So, what I want to just talk about now is the fact that the healthy growth of us in a church is not just through these relationships. The Bible also gives us some other uh, information about how we ought to grow up. Okay, and then we're going to find that uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, uh, where's the clicker gone? 
There we are. Right, okay. So we're going to read this together. If you've got Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I've, I've put it in the wrong... I'm just going to read it and then we'll... Uh... <laughs> That's all right, hands. Don't you worry. <clears throat> um, so it says, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, he says... When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who has descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things, into him who is head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. So Paul is talking about growing up. This passage in Ephesians is all about the church growing up. So what does he say that the church needs in order to grow up? Well, the first thing he says right, is that we need to understand that every single person in this room has been given gifts. It says to each one of us, right, grace was given and he gave gifts to men. That doesn't just mean men, that means men and women, right, that's, you know, right. Everybody in the church has been given gifts, lots of gifts, many gifts. And if you are to grow into Christ, you need to learn to use your gifts, Right? Tony has a gift for taking care of animals, right? In a natural sense. Yeah, that's not necessarily a spiritual gift, Tony, right? <clears throat> um, as much as you might like it to be, right? But it is but it's a natural gift. And that's just one of Tony's many gifts. And each one of us, if we're to grow up, we have to learn to fulfill and use our gifts. Amen? Right? Now these gifts, and this is what's important, these gifts are given by grace. Now what that means is that you may be a very gifted preacher. You may be very gifted at this, or you may be very gifted at that. But it comes, not because you've earned it, as much as you might think you have, it comes because of the grace of God. Nobody can stand and say, I've got this gift, and I will be jealous of that person, because gifts are given by the grace of God. And this is really, really important, is that God gives grace right, to the church, and you have to accept that you've got what you've got, whether you like it or not, praise him. And who does it come from? It comes from Christ. It is Christ's gift to the church, is to give gifts to everybody in the church. That's his gift. And we, and I'm going to talk about this in a lot more detail next week, right, what are, I'm going to talk about the spiritual gifts next week. What are the spiritual gifts and how do we use them? But what I want to talk about today is this, we know there's spiritual gifts. Well, how does the church function in releasing those spiritual gifts? And we're going to see it here. Okay? Um, we're going to see it here in 
Uh, oh, here are the, so here are some of, so we're going to, this is what we'll talk about in more detail next week. But in Romans chapter 12 and Corinthians 12, it says these are some of the spiritual gifts. Exhortation, giving, interesting, financial giving is a spiritual gift. Being generous with your money is a spiritual gift. How about that? Leadership. Leadership is a spiritual gift. Right? Mercy is a spiritual gift. Prophecy, service, teaching, administration, administrators here. The trustees of the church as a spiritual gift. Right? Healings, helps, knowledge, wisdom, tongues, teaching, spiritual gifts. Right? These are just some of the spiritual gifts that God has given to the church. So how then does Paul say that these spiritual gifts are going to be uh, flourished in the church and it's through what is known as the Ephesians 4 ministries okay so it says he gave himself he and sorry he himself gave so who's given these gifts Jesus Jesus given did I choose to do that no it's been given to me as a gift of grace so he gave some to be apostles some to be prophets some evangelists and some pastors some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. We're going to come on to that in a minute. Okay? So what he's saying is that I have given ministries to the church. Now, an apostle is generally known as uh, someone that plants churches, establishes foundations. They're sometimes called spiritual entrepreneurs. They're pioneers. Prophets bring the word of God uh, to the church in the light of scripture. They'll often bring really powerfully the word of God that really liberates the people. Uh, evangelists focus on non-Christians and sharing the gospel with non-Christians. Uh, <clears throat> I would say personally that this is pastor-teacher is one. Uh, some people separate them out. But I would say here, if you look, it's some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Right? There's, there's only four sums. Right? Okay? So I would say pastor-teacher is one. I'm, I'm happy if you disagree with me. I don't think it really matters. Uh, I don't think it's possible to be a good pastor and not a teacher. Right? Otherwise, you're just basically just being nice to people. Right? Okay? Um, uh, so, these are the ministries that God has given right, to equip the local church. And what I think is interesting about these ministries is that, that you will find many of them already in the local church. But some of them have to operate outside of the local church or, or cut across the church, if that makes sense. So you would have an apostle, by definition, is someone who has been sent. So therefore, it's unlikely that they're going to be fully based in a local church. So when I think Paul was talking about this, he was recognising that churches are meant to be part of networks. They're meant to be not just single entities on their own, because the ministry of the apostle, the ministry of the prophet, will come in to the local church, although some of these ministries may already exist in a local church. Okay, so an example of that would be, I would say, someone like Les Wilden. Does anyone know Les? Les Wilden? He is a, clearly, he has the ministry of a teacher. And he travels around churches bringing additional teaching uh, which builds up the church, which is what we'll see in a moment. Anyone remember Dave Latham? He's been here before, hasn't he, Dave Latham? Dave Latham, what would you say Dave is? He is an evangelist. Right, I wasn't going to give you the option there. <laughs> Right? And when Dave comes, you bring him in, he comes for a weekend, uh, and he, he generally, he does two things. He generally preaches the gospel, people get saved, right? and he also equips the church in evangelism, which we'll see is important. He is like an external ministry that comes in. Right? Now, it doesn't mean that you have, these ministries have to be external, but I think often they are. 
The other thing I think we need to recognise about these ministries is we talk a lot about ordinary people, don't we? We want to be ordinary. The church is about releasing ordinary people. But I would say that we also need to recognise that there are some who have a particular anointing that is not ordinary. Right? Someone like Clive, right? Okay. Someone like Clive Urquhart or sort of people that have, have got a particular ministry, they are not, in a sense, ordinary. They are one of these ministries. But this is the key. Who gave them that ministry? Go on, Lauren. Go on, chat it out. You got it right. Jesus. Did they choose to have that ministry? No. They didn't. They were just given it by God. And so we cannot aspire, as it were, to, to beat, meet these kind of roles. Because <clears throat> it, it's not possible. They are the ministries that Christ has given to the church. Okay, so we cannot like, look at them and put them on a pedestal. They are just, in many ways, ordinary men and women, but we need to recognise that their ministry may be extraordinary okay, in that sense. And, and this is the other thing that we need to realise, is that we need to, the way you notice that these are clear ministries is there is an anointing of authority upon them. When someone who is clearly a prophet brings a clearly prophetic message, you know because it ministers to you. And you're like, that has got some power to it that is not usual. When you see an evangelist do what an evangelist does, it's not, it's not the kind of run-of-the-day, run-of-the-mill type thing. Okay? So these are specific ministries of individuals that have been given by God. And the question is, why? Why has God created these ministries? Let's look. It says it here in the text. For what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is so important when we talk about the Ephesians 4 ministries and growing people up. It is, their ministry is not about them being amazing. Their responsibility and ministry is to do what? Equip the saints. To equip you and me. Right? It's to bring out those gifts that are already in us. Yeah, it's the gifts that God has given. It's not that we look at them on a pedestal and say, wow, isn't their ministry amazing? Their ministry and call is to bring out the gifts within the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry because at God's heart is that the church, every single member of the church, fulfills their ministry. And in the end, what's the purpose? To edify the body of Christ and make the, the body of Christ strong. To make the body of Christ grow up and be mature. This is really, really important. I really, really believe this. And these, these ministries are foundational. They are foundational. They sit underneath the church. It's not a glorious job to be a foundation layer. No one comes to your house today and say, oh, can I see your foundations? They don't do that. But these ministries are foundational ministries and so they are really to sit underneath the church. And I want to make a comment at this point about the importance also of eldership. So this, if you imagine, this is the church here. okay? And inside the church you have all of these gifts that are given to the church. That's you and I. And we are yet to grow up, I think, into the use of all that God has given us in the church. And what you have then is these ministries that are designed to help build up those gifts. So you have the apostle that comes in, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teachers that come in and build up that body. But there is a third group of people in the church that are really important. And that is these. 
the office of an elder. Now, the office of an elder, right, is designed to protect the church, to make sure that your gifts are used properly. And that when you go and you sort of, you prophesy over someone, you know, like someone comes in shabba-dabba, you know, and like... (laughs) Amen! (laughs) This is family discipleship. Don't fall asleep in the front row, Samson. (laughs) That is family discipleship right there, right? (laughs) But the office of an elder is to make sure, right, that the church is protected, that these gifts are able to flourish properly, that those that are bringing in ministry from outside are doing it under the authority and the protection of the care of the shepherd who is designed to care for the flock. This is how the church grows up healthy. Do you see, I know I'm going long today, but I just feel it's very important. We're laying foundations this morning about how we see the church. Okay, just to me, it's just really, really important. So, this is how it functions. So, many people will say to you, uh, you might have heard this said, well, we're not sure we believe that the role of the prophet or the role of the apostle is still relevant in today. That was for the, the Bible, that was for the New Testament. I want to ask you a question. What does it say in the text that the work of the, the equipping of the saints to the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body is for what? Until we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to the measure of the statue, stature of the fullness of Christ. Until, verse 13, until. I'm not sure about you, but I don't think we've quite reached, right? the unity of the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God. So I propose to you that there are still apostles and prophets today right, who operate, who don't, over, just to be clear, who are not uh, more important than the Word of God. They're not bringing new revelation, right? but they are bringing the revelation of the Word of God that already exists because the purpose is that we as a church all come together into a unity of the faith, a knowledge of the Son of God, right? in order that we might become, it says, like me, the perfect man. Right? Is that Tim Cross there? Uh, No. To the perfect man. Again, do you see Paul's talking, the context that Paul is talking about is growing up as a man or as a woman into full stature. Becoming a full, as a church, there are so many churches that are babies. Baby churches. And they've never grown up to be the full church that God has intended it to be. And in order for the church to do that, you need family, first of all. Careful. All right? <clears throat> right? You need, you need the family to do it, but you also need, you need the gifts to be... Family operates so that the gifts can flourish. The gifts flourish because the, the ministries come in and build them up. And the office of the elder makes sure and protects and cares that those gifts can flourish. Amen? In order that we would all come to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, that we might be full. And I think that this is really, really important. That it's, there's a collective here. It's an all thing. that The whole church comes to this. And I'll finish with this. this. So what does that mean for us personally? How does that affect you personally, Tony? Right? It's, this is what the it, it follows on. This passage carries on and finishes that we should no longer be what. And what was I saying right back at the beginning? Keep going. Come on. Oh, maybe there's a bit of a new. Right? What have we got in the church? Children. God's intention. Paul is saying, my intention is that you should no longer be children. 
right? No longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But that speaking the truth in love, that's what, that's what grown-ups do. That's what adults do, don't they? They tell you the truth, don't they, hands, right? They tell you the truth in love, right? In order that you may grow up into the fullness of Christ Jesus. My job as the spiritual father of the church is to speak the truth in love again and again and again. Isn't that true? Yes? Right? In order that you might grow up, that you might no longer be a child, a child who's blown around by this and that emotionally, by who the one who watches a video on YouTube and comes along and says, oh, I've got this brand new theology that I watched some crazy nutcracker off like America, right? Not blown around because we are mature Christians. I want River Church to become a mature church. A mature church of people that know that, are, that we are unified in the faith, that we have the knowledge of the Son of God, that we are a full and mature church that sends out spiritual children. And in order to do that, we need the ministries of Ephesians 4. We need to release the gifts. And so I'm going to stop there. Because next week, I want to talk about what are these spiritual gifts that God has given to the church. I hope I haven't bored you for the last 50 minutes, 55, probably been long today, isn't it? 45, is that all? Check it. All right, okay, let's stand and pray, all right?